Welcome to episode 223 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Dr. Katherine Sharp Landek. She is the author of The Women with Silver Wings, the inspiring true story of the women Air Force Service pilots of World War II. Since it is Women's History Month, I wanted to find a way to highlight the stories of women of history on the podcast. Yesterday, I did a live stream highlighting some of the books I read in 2022, highlighting women of history, and today we're going to interview Catherine to talk a little bit more about her book and why I loved it so much. I'm really excited to share The Women with Silver Wings with you and to talk to the author, Dr. Catherine Sharp Landek. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want to tell you about a program that is being offered by the VA Office of Women's Health. Did you know that only 44% of women veterans are enrolled in Veteran Affairs Healthcare? This is 8% lower than male veterans. The VA Office of Women's Health is working to change that. They created the VA Women's Health Reengagement Training, HEART, with the goal of increasing the number of women veterans who use VA healthcare by educating them on what women veteran-specific services are available to them and how to enroll. I recently took this course and learned about the healthcare services provided by the VA, along with specific services offered for women. I also interviewed Ariana Wagner, a VA women's heart trainer, about the program and how she got involved in working to get women veterans enrolled in VA healthcare. Want to learn more or sign up to attend a virtual or in-person event? Head over to their website, www.womensheart.info slash register. And if you're looking for a new podcast, I have a show that you might find interesting. It's called True War Stories Mission Report. Every episode, a real veteran tells their story And the story is mixed with a cinematic presentation of key moments from the true story. The show has original music, immersive sound design that puts you in the fight, and features star performers like Adam Baldwin from Full Metal Jacket, Ryan Hirsch from Sons of Anarchy, Lucas Till from CBS's McGuire, Lily Taylor from Six Feet Under, and more. The series is also now part of a fundraiser for the Wounded Warrior Project with donations being made to Wounded Warrior for every 100 downloads. So you'll be helping veterans by listening. Episodes run the gamut from Civil War era to World War II to Vietnam to Desert Storm. You can find True War Stories Mission Report from Vogue Media at truewarstoriespodcast.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. And now let's get started with this week's episode. Welcome to the show, Catherine. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And you're not a veteran, so you're not like my typical guest, but you wrote a book about women who were the first pilots who served during World War II. And so we're going to talk about your book, why you wrote it, and just why I love it so much. And so it's called Women with Silver Wings. Such a good book. And I, I told you I listened to it on audiobook, and I loved listening to it and I just love the story and I knew a little bit about the wasp because I interviewed Elaine Harmon's granddaughter Erin Miller she was on the podcast in season one and so I read her book Final Fight Final Flight and so when I was reading slash listening to your book and hearing like pieces of her story and other women I just thought it was really fascinating so I've loved learning about the wasp and I was so excited that 
you wrote their history in so much detail, and I, I just really loved it. Well, thank you. I'm so glad you liked it. And, and uh, yeah, El- Elaine Harmon was actually my first oral history with a wasp. Not the first wasp I met, but the first one I did a formal oral history with. And back in 1996, back in the, you know, the last century. Uh, but but uh, she was um, just a fantastic lady. I loved her so much. And I was really honored to be able to help her family, uh, Aaron and, and her mother and sister do the, the fight uh, at the Capitol and help write the bill using my knowledge of their history and, and um, their fight in the 70s. So uh, it's not every day a historian gets to say they helped write a bill uh, to get the women they've spent 20 years studying back into Arlington National Cemetery. But but uh, it was um, it's 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 one you can't find a place for on your resume, but it was one of the proudest things I've been able to do. Yeah, and I really loved Erin's book, not only because of the history, but I loved how she explained like how a bill goes through Congress and all the different advocacy. And I was like, this book is like something I think like, you know, eighth graders need to read when they're learning about the Constitution because it's so easily explains in such an interesting way like how a bill goes to congress and so i think her book is really well done as well and i love yeah i i liked it too and i liked it because she talks about elaine her her grandmother and um i got to hear stories about her that i hadn't heard before so that was that was a lot of fun too yeah it's a great book yeah that's really cool so let's talk a little bit about your book how did this all come about We'll just start there and see where it goes. Sure, sure. You know, I I am not a veteran. Um, my my parents aren't veterans, but I grew up in Omaha, not far from Sac Air Force Base. So I grew up with, you know, the the generals' planes flying overhead in case you know the nuclear holocaust came. We would have a general in the air to you know would take care of all of us. And and so I grew up with planes literally overhead twenty four seven. I just loved airplanes. I lived near Millard Airport, which was just a little um, private airport, always 152s and 172s flying overhead. And so I just, I loved airplanes. My dad and I used to sit and watch World War II movies together. And uh, my my grandfather was a veteran, but, but um, I just I loved airplanes. I had a bachelor's in history. I had gone for my first airplane ride actually with a history professor of mine, but I worked at Spartan School of Aeronautics in Tulsa right out of college. I was teaching history and government and aviation medicine of all things for this history major. Went up the road to Bartlesville, Oklahoma to the biplane expo up there and went by myself. Couldn't get anybody to go with me. I worked with all these guys who were aviation people, you know, airplane nerds. Nobody would go with me. And it was the greatest thing that I've ever done (laughs) to go to an air show by myself. Uh, and I hung around at the end and was looking in one of the planes and the pilot was kind enough to point out that Curtis Pitts was over in the the shade of the hangar and encouraged me to go say hi. And, you know, I was in my early 20s and kind of shy and it's like, I'm going to be brave. And I went over to Curtis Pitts and said, hi, Mr. Pitts, you sure make a neat airplane. I was very sophisticated and in- introduced me to the woman sitting next to him, who is Carol Bailey Bosca. And he introduced her to me as, you know, oh, she won the 
international aerobatic championship in 1951 in my second airplane, which is the pit special. I was like, what are you talking about? And talk to them. And then by the end of our conversation, I learned that she was uh, one of the women Air Force service pilots from World War II and had flown B-25s and B-24s and, uh, you know, AT-6s and all these airplanes that I knew because I was an aviation enthusiast, but didn't know women had flown. And I decided it was ridiculous that here I was with a bachelor's in history and enthusiast for airplanes and knowledgeable about World War II and had never heard of these women. And I just kind of set myself to learn everything I could and share their story as widely as I could. Because think about how girls' lives could be changed if they knew that women had done this, right? That they knew that women had flown all these great airplanes. You see all the World War II movies and all the heroic. And to realize that women flew those planes too, it's like, wow, you know, how how different would the aviation industry look today? How different would women in military aviation look today if they'd realized that it had been done before? And And I think that's what's so important about what you do with your podcast is you're sharing those stories. And that's what I wanted to do is, is to learn everything I could about them and then share it as widely as possible. So thank you for helping me do that. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I met Aaron and I learned about the WASP and I'm an Air Force veteran and I learned the Air Force history and they never once mentioned women pilots and World War II. And I was like, this is a travesty. Like, we should have learned about the history of all the pilots during World War II, not just, you know, all the things that, you know, let it was all focused on like what led to the Air Force becoming a separate service and not really like the history of the pilots. And so I think that when I learned about it, I had a very similar reaction of like, I was in the Air Force, I should know this history. And I had no idea. And it's only intensified like my research about women in World War II and the roles that they were playing and that they weren't just nurses and secretaries. They did so many other things. And so I've read so many books about spies and coders and all these women who helped change the course of the war and people don't know about them and they don't know their stories. And so I am very passionate about it too. I think it's so important that people know, because like you said, it changes the future when we don't know the past and what women have done, it really does change. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think that's exactly right. And I will build off of your how the Air Force became the Air Force uh, history. You know, the WASP wore blue, and it's Air Force blue, and and uh, they were the first. And Jackie Cochran, who led the WASP, did that on purpose. And she was a huge advocate and supporter of Hap Arnold, and an advocate for an independent Air Force, and. Uh, really saw setting the women up to help support that idea of an independent Air Force. So I think it's it's all tied together. And and uh, Air Force Blue, they called it Santiago Blue in World War II. Jackie picked that cloth out. So there's a connection there. That's so true. Because, yeah, we learned all about General Hap Arnold. And, like, I knew who he was and why he was important. And, and I had heard the name Jackie Cochran, but I didn't know any of the history of who she was or what she did. And it was really interesting reading the book because I was like, oh, 
this person is important to history and she's not just I think I thought she was like a Hollywood person because I knew her name but I didn't know anything about her and and so it was really interesting hearing her story and like all the history behind it good and that's that's one thing I try to do in the book is you know the wasp were in service for two years from 1942 to 1944 and my book is bigger than that it it tells the whole story you know there are some really good books out the Aaron Miller's book about the fight to get him into um, Arlington National Cemetery is very good Sarah Rickman has written a lot of good biographies on the ferry pilots you know the women ferry pilots uh, and and done a good job of that but mine is I, I wanted it to be all encompassing. I wanted it to teach about where these women come from. Cause it, it's kind of bizarre. If you think about it, it's like, Oh yeah, women were flying AT sixes and P 51s and uh, in world war two, it's like, well, how'd that happen? <laughs> you know? So I, I go back into the twenties and thirties and kind of give a, and I'm a history teacher. So of course I'm going to take every chance I can to teach as much as I can. And uh, I try to do that in my writing and my students, that's the big joke is, you know, we start the class and, you know, 19, you know, it's a World War II class, but we actually start in 1870, you know, because <laughs> you got to back up to understand. But but I think understanding what women were doing in aviation in the 20s and especially the 30s really builds it up to the point where it makes sense that they can do this in the 40s. And it makes sense that the women who led this program Jackie Cochran, Nancy Love, Betty Gillies, that they'd been around a long time, right? Jackie was president of the 99s, which is the all women's uh, pilot organization. Uh, Betty Gillies was a founder of the 99s and had been a president, you know, so there was this established group of women pilots that led into the WASP. Uh, And of course, aviation was crazy, in the 30s. There's a really good book by Joseph Korn uh, called Winged Gospel. And it talks about the passion for aviation that people had starting in the, you know, before the 1920s. But but it's it's aviation and society, you know, talking about in the third 20s and 30s, people getting married in open cockpit airplanes and naming their babies Aerogene and uh, things like that. And, and that's how these wasp grew up they were a part of that golden age of aviation so when you when you have that context it just makes sense what what they wanted to do and how important flying was to their mindset of what they how they wanted to serve during the war yeah that's a really good point because i think that's so true like you look at like women are in the wasp but you're like how did they get to that point and you do go back and like tell the story and I I just ate it all up. I I loved every minute of it because I just loved hearing all the history of, you know, what, what happened and what led to the opportunity for women. And I think it's really interesting because it seemed like all that stuff happened and then the war was over and it got shut down and forgotten about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I think the, my entry into the WASP story by by meeting Caro and learning about her flying in 1951, right? She'd been an air show pilot in the, the late 1940s. She was the national aerobatic champion in 51 and had, had done all of this. And I think because that was my entry, the idea of what happened to these women afterwards, right? I mean, they're they're flying all the 
top airplanes of the day, right? All of the best airplanes of the day. And then before the war's even over in December of 1944, they're sent home. They said, thank you. We have enough men to do the job you're doing now. You know, go home and, you know, wait for everybody, the men to come back. Uh, They were not given the opportunity to fly in the military again until 1973. And they were not allowed to fly for the airlines. The the WASP weren't because B. Haydu, I I think I quote this in the book, but B. Haydu was a fantastic woman. And she used to say, I never heard no written so many different ways. They had enough pilots and they didn't choose women because they didn't, you know, they didn't want the women. So the WASPs themselves are great friends with many of the Tuskegee Airmen of World War II, the black black men pilots of World War II, and talk about the connections and how similar they are. But the airmen themselves say, look, we, we had a chance to fly afterwards it, to stay in the military, right? They weren't, they weren't able to fly commercially either. Um, because of the racism of the time, but they could fly in the military. So you have Tuskegee Airmen who flew in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. Well, the WASP, you know, over 200 of them went on to serve after World War II. They served in the reserves. They served in the active Air Force once it began. We have several who served in Korea and Vietnam as well, but they weren't allowed to fly. They weren't even supposed to wear their wings. Uh, that they had earned during the war, but most of them did, and dared them to <laughs> dared them to take them off. But but that what happened to them after the war um, is is about a third of my book. You know, is this idea of you know what happens when they tell you to go home? And I think that's something that a lot of modern military women have talked to me about because that's a huge transition to go from serving in the military to figuring out how to live your life post-military, right? When you are when you're, have to do it all by yourself and you have to figure out your own career. And it's so different and such a big transition, uh, especially we have so many women today who've served overseas and, and in war. It's a big transition. And that's something that the WASP did not serve in combat. They did not fight, but it was something they were passionate about. And this idea of how do you transition to domestic life, especially when they had people who didn't believe them that they flew, flew these airplanes, right? They, the stories of some of them, they'd go to a cocktail party after the war and be hanging out with the men who'd come back and be, the men would be talking about, oh, you know, I was a navigator on the B-17 or I was this or that. And, and they'd start talking about how planes handled or talking about different things. And the some of the guys would be like, what are you talking about? Go, women didn't do that. Go away, go away. You know, the women are in the kitchen, go, you know, and it was really hard. So I've, I've tried in the book to tell these stories through some of the women, you know, this, this idea of this post-war, what are you going to do? Dora Dougherty, you know, she wasn't allowed in the veterans club when she went to college afterwards. Uh, None of them got the GI bill and had to pay for their own way, despite their service, despite their, their risks. I don't know. I, I think it's, I, I think it's a fascinating story. You know, these women were very special and became, became friends, but uh, I think it really tells a lot of the story and not everybody likes the post-war stuff. I've had 
reviewers say, oh, but she gets political in the end. But it's like, no, the, the post-war is the most interesting, I think. You know, what do you do after after your the big moment? You know, how do you get get past that and, and continue to live? And um, I think the WASP can really give a model for that. Yeah, and your story of someone telling someone they hadn't done something overseas, like, or... I mean, I deployed overseas and I saw combat and I told someone that and they're like, but women can't be in combat. And I'm like, that's <laughs> like, I'm just telling you like what happened to me and you're trying to tell me that it didn't happen. And like, how demoralizing is that when it's just because of my gender, you assume that what I'm telling you isn't true. And, and so I think that's probably one of the reasons like the story resonates so well with women veterans, because we understand those types of situations are still happening in different ways, but they're still happening today where people are second guess about what they've done in the service. They don't get the, you know, the belief that they've done what they've done. They have to fight for it and earn it, unlike their male counterparts. And I'm married to a service member. And so I've seen how people react to my husband and how they react to me. And it's very different. And so I think that is really important. And I thought the... It was political, but it wasn't like political as in like Republican, Democrat. It was just like two different ways of thinking and how those two different ways of thinking affected the ultimate outcome for the women. And so I thought that was really interesting. And it also kind of explained like why certain things happened the way that they did because of all the things going behind the scenes. If you don't know what's happening behind the scenes and the disagreements between different people, then you would just be like, well, why did that happen? And I feel like the book wouldn't be finished if you didn't include that. Right. Well, I I appreciate that a lot because I, you know, I guess my favorite part of Wizard of Oz is when they pull back that green curtain and we get to see the wizard, right? And and that's always been my view of history is is if we pull back the green curtain, we can get closer to the truth, right? We can really understand why things happen the way they did. And I think the WASP are a great model, you know, their fight in the 1970s to earn that veterans recognition, which started, you know, a full decade before they got it. It started in the 1960s and then gained momentum in the in the 70s until 1977 when they finally got it. But the the pushback and the reasons for the pushback, and I think, you know, women veterans today and women active duty today are facing some of the same language. You know, it's familiar that the language that was used in the 70s and, and, you know, they don't talk quite as much. They're a little more politically correct today and don't talk as much about, oh, you're lovely and, you know, but, but you still get that, right? And so I, I, think, I think they're a model that you really can do things and you can make the change. I think they're a model of needing allies, and finding the allies in unexpected places sometimes. You know, the biggest ally the WASP had in their fight to gain recognition as veterans of World War II, because they they missed it by 17 votes during the war. Uh, and that was personal too, right? A congressman who hated uh, Hap Arnold is the one that got it sunk more than anything else. But that fight, uh, you know, they found um, Barry Goldwater, who was anti-equal rights amendment, you know, the father of modern conservatism, but he'd flown as a ferry pilot with the women in, in the war. And he said, if I'm a veteran, 
you're a veteran. And, and he, he helped make that happen as much as the women pushing did. So I, I think they have a lot of lessons, you know, and I appreciate history for history's sake. Obviously, I'm a professional historian, but I think we can learn a lot of lessons. And uh, I really believe the WASP have lessons at many levels, even on just how to get old. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm glad I'm I'm glad to hear that you you see the value because it's not it's not political. It's it's the backroom politics of how it all happened. Yeah, and I think you're right. Like the person who was the advocate was not the person who you would have expected but he served with women you know w- with wasp and so he knew their story and so that's why i think stories are so important because you can get past like real big political divides if you can talk to someone and see their point of view or experience their you know like walk in their shoes because then you can understand something from a different perspective and it kind of helps break down the biases that you have and so that's why stories are so important that's right and podcasts or books however they're told (laughs) exactly so speaking of stories is there any wasp in the book that you want to give a little sneak peek of their story or one of the stories that's really close to your heart so I really struggled with how to write this book. I, I spent probably 10 years writing the book itself, 20, 25 researching and writing total. But I realized that, you know, it's, it's 1800, over 1800 women, right? 1102 wore their wings. And, and if people are going to understand this story, it had to be told as a story, right? As a narrative. And so I chose initially five women to follow then, then narrowed it down to three, but added Jackie Cochran and Nancy Love in there as well. You know, I, I knew all of them, uh, the, the three leads, um, Dora Dougherty, um, Teresa James, and Marty Weil. But I think, I think Teresa's story is really one that tells so much of the story of the war, of women, professional women. You know, her family was, was you know, had a florist shop in Pennsylvania she worked there. They still have the florist shop in Pennsylvania. I've called up there and talked to family members who, who were working in the floral shop. And she learned to fly to impress a boy <laughs> and, and uh, was terrified of it, but then went on and became a stunt pilot, uh, was one of the first ferry pilots. And then she's got the romance story is, is Teresa's, because you got to have a little romance because romance is life, right? And then she's the one that post-war goes on and is the first to really poke. She served in the Air Force Reserves for two decades. And she's the first that really pokes to try to get veteran status in the 1960s. And she does that by contacting Patsy Mink of Hawaii, who was the first Asian-American woman to serve in Congress uh, to help, help promote that bill. So I think following Teresa, and she was so funny. She told dirty jokes. She was just the funniest person. And following her story from afraid of airplanes to, you know, stunt pilot making $50 a day during the Depression to flying P-47s and then and then fighting to be remembered, I think is is one of the most fun that that I enjoy. She was so fun. And I've her her niece loaned me pictures. And so there's actually a picture in the scrapbook of her and her husband when they met in the 1930s. 
you know, and they were flight instructors together and things. So Teresa was really special. Yeah, I thought as a writer, I like think about like it ruins you when you start learning how to write books because then you start thinking about like how did she narrow down her character and I we just my husband and I just watched a movie and it had so many characters and my husband's like who's that person who's that person I was like I don't know we it was a series and we stopped because we went uh on a trip for Christmas and my husband last night was like should we watch that again? I was like, we were confused while we were watching it. I don't even remember. Like, and so the fact that you were able to like narrow down the characters and I never felt lost. Like, who is this person? Like, why are they important to the story? I know how hard that is. So you did a great job of like pulling in stories of other women while also like staying focused on the stories at hand. And I thought that was really well done. Cause like you said, there were so many stories. 25 years of research, 10 years of writing. I mean, it shows how much work went into the book. Yeah, I have I have a stack of um, three ring binders in my office of different drafts. You know, okay, I'm done. Oh, no, I'm not. Okay, I'm done. Uh, no, I'm not. And, you know, the book itself, the, the draft I initially turned into my editor was three times as long. And I had to cut two thirds of it because it was just, it was too long and too, too much. It, but it's such a big story, but I'm I'm thrilled to know that you were able to follow those threads. You know, the, the three women each represented something different, right? Teresa represents the women ferry pilots. Dora represents those in the first class who did something besides ferrying. And Marty is in the last class and what that was experience was for them. But all three come to the end. Right. And, and, and can carry us through telling different parts of the story. And, and again, I knew, I knew all three, so I was able to get a little more, it's a cheat for a historian to actually physically know your people, (laughs) personally know your people. So I, I, I was able to get a little personality in there too, I think, but, but I'm, I'm thrilled to know that you could follow, you liked it. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I loved it. You're just going to hear me saying I loved it. I thought it was so good. One other question that I had was, so you had been doing research for a long, like you said you'd been researching 25 years. So like 15 years of research. Why did you decide to write the book? I know you mentioned like you wanted to get the story out. And why did you think the book would be a good way to do that? Right. You know, I I started, I, I met Carol and decided I wanted to go to graduate school to learn to write history the right way, right? To do it well. Um, and I learned oral history, how to do oral histories properly and, and things like that. And um, so I started, I did my master's thesis and then I did my doctoral dissertation. And, um, you know, the next step was a book. And I had many different ideas about books and how to write the book and whether it should be an academic book or a trade book, which is what it ended up. And I've been a part of a number of documentaries. I've won an Emmy for producing one one documentary on the Wasp and, and have been a part of several others. And I think documentaries are great. I think podcasts are great. I did one with um, Stuff You Missed in History Class, um, a two, did a two-parter on, on the Wasp, and, and we did one on Jackie Cochran. So I think I'm all for doing as much as I can. You know, I've written for The Atlantic about the Wasp. I've written, you know, done newscasts. We built a rose parade float, you know, and, and, uh, but I think a book is something you can hold in your hands or AirPods or whatever, right. But, but it's something that, that lasts, right. It can a hundred years from now, somebody can pull this off the shelf and read it. 
and and I think you can get a lot more details in it than you can in a 50 minute documentary or 45 minute podcast or something. You can get get deeper into those stories of the individual women and the kind of nitty gritty of how and why uh, things happened. And I'm very fortunate that my publisher let me do end notes. I prefer footnotes at the bottom of the page, but but they let me do end notes and that's where all the gossip is. So if you just listen to it, you might want to look at the, um, get a copy of the paperback or something. Cause it's, it's got a lot of gossipy notes that I had to cut from the main text. Um, but, but was still able to fit some of that in. So, you know, it, it has links to all the sources. So others scholars or researchers can find the materials I used, but, but I got a lot of good gossip in the, in the end notes too. So that's, that's another reason I, I think a book is important. Yeah, I love that. And I like audiobooks mainly because I can listen while I'm doing other things. But there is something about having like the physical book. And now you're like, you piqued my interest because I'm like, ooh, I want all that gossip. Good. <laughs> it's I- good. It's good gossip. And, you know, they, w- the way we set up the book was picture rather than having like a bunch of pictures in the middle, we have a picture at the top of each chapter. Uh, and that's where I was able to pull in pictures. Most of them have never been seen. Uh, I got them from personal scrapbooks and from family members of some of them. Uh, and I was able to put some of those women that I had to cut in the story um, by by having their picture. And then the captions tell another part of the story that, that you know, couldn't fit into the main narrative, but adds a little depth to the wasp story. So the pictures are, are really good too, I think. I was pleased with them. I wish I could have put one at the beginning and end of the chapter, but they wouldn't go for that. So, uh, but but I, I'm, I'm pleased with the pictures we were able to choose. Is there anything else from either writing the story or from the stories within the book that you want to highlight before we wrap up the interview? You know, these women, are, you know, the the subtitle of the book is the inspiring true story of the women Air Force Service pilots, and I think that's really um, you can read this book and get different things from it each time you read it. I think the you know wherever you are in life, whether you're ambitious and thinking about joining the military, or if you're you're about to retire, or you know, if you're in your fifties or or whatever, I think you can see the the path that women have taken and the path that this generation of women took. They had a lot of obstacles in life, a lot of things that stood in their way, and they had a lot of dreams and ambitions, just like we do. And they were able to find workarounds or find different paths, you know, if, if things didn't work out, they were able to find something else that, that made them happy. And I think, I think it's a real, you know, I kind of grew up with them. I was in my twenties when I first, early twenties, when I first met them and I'm in my early fifties now. And, you know, they, they taught me how to go through those phases of life. And, um, so it's, I think it's not just a history of their flying and their story. I think it's can demonstrate a model on how to be uh, as a woman and going through going through life. And maybe that's too big and too bold, but but um, that's how I feel about them. Uh, and I hope that comes across in the book. Yeah, it definitely does. 
And I always like to end my interview with what advice you would give to a young woman who's considering the military. And I feel like you know women of the military really well with all the mm-hmm. interviews that you've done. So what advice would you pass along? I think um, I would pass along advice, not just from the WASP, but from the second generation of women pilots, those who flew from 73 to 93. Rosemary Mariner was um, a naval commander. She she broke through the ceiling of flying so many great aircraft in the 1980s, uh, especially. And, um, you know, she, if she couldn't find someone to help her where she was, she went somewhere else and found someone else. And when I talked to her about her history and her experiences, she talked about allies and being open to allies and finding them where they are and, um, you know, be true to yourself uh, but there are a lot of great opportunities uh, in the military and um, and beyond. And be true to yourself and, and find your allies. That's great advice. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this interview. I'm really excited to share it and to kick off Women's History Month highlighting the WASP. I just, I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And, and um, thanks to your listeners for uh, learning more of the WASP story. Oh, and I forgot to ask, where would be the best place for people to go if they want to order your book? They can buy it anywhere books are sold. All the all the retailers, all the online, anywhere. It's it's everywhere. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's interview. I'm really thankful that you took the time to listen to this episode, and I wanted to tell you about two resources that may help you in your journey of military service. And so the first is my new book, A Girl's Guide to Military Service, which is available at the link in the show notes on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You can go check it out. It's A Girl's Guide to Military Service. It's meant to help you answer all your questions about military life and give you a firm foundation for the start of your career. And if you're looking for mentorship or want to be a mentor, please check out the Women of the Military Mentorship Program, which is also linked to in the show notes. You can sign up to be a mentee or a mentor. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.